Our sermon series, if you're new today, if this is your first time, we, we are doing a sermon series called Ask Your Pastor. And we want, we over the summer, I asked folks to submit questions that they might have uh, about Jesus, the Bible, his church. And uh, you can't see it because the graphic artist who made this, who's me, uh, didn't make this dark enough. So I apologize. It's a heart and it says love. But um, we've been tackling some of the questions that people have been asking. And for the last few weeks, I've kind of condensed questions. Um, for instance, last week our question was, what is sin? That wasn't the direct question. That was sort of the boiling down of the different questions that were asked. This one was literally asked this way, though. How do you feel God's love? And so as simple of a question as this is, honestly, I can't think of another question aside from why do bad things happen to good people. I can't think of another question that's, that's asked more frequently. Many of us might have a, a knowledge that God loves us, that God is love, and Jesus died for us, and that's great. But there's this disconnect between what we think we should be feeling as a result of that and how we actually feel. So the literal question was, do you feel God's love? How do you feel God's love? As a pastor, I can come before you and preach to you uh, theology, that is my understanding of God or the understanding of God, who he is and how he's represented himself. But if there is no practical application, it's all words, it's all talk, it's all theory. And the last thing I want at this place, and, and I, I think, I'm hoping that, the, that Jesus agrees with me, is that you wouldn't be Christians filled with a lot of knowledge, but no practical application of it. So that you know a lot of stuff, but, but you don't live out that stuff. Um, we want Christians who, who know and do. We want Christians who have faith, and as a result of their faith in Christ, go and do stuff. It motivates what they do so that they can go and love and serve and, and, and just live day in and day out and be discipled and, and disciple others and, and be mentored and mentor others and love and be loved by others and be loved by Christ because both are working together. They know and they do. More, more often than not, when one of these is out of balance is when you find folks who are really in trouble. They know a lot of stuff, but they're not doing anything. Or they do too much and they don't, they don't know why they're doing it. And certainly both of those can have their positives, but really it's, it's in the balance of doing both where you find the most fruitful Christ-following life. And so today, I don't think I'm going to teach you how to feel God's love. It's, it's the equivalent of me trying to teach you how to taste ice cream. I could talk to you till I'm blue in the face about its creaminess and its cold, but until you actually feel it and taste it yourself – there's always going to be that disconnect, and this question is going to remain. The Bible is plain. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I love that, that, that God moved upon a man to write that, taste and see that the Lord is good, because there's nothing more primary than putting something in your mouth. Even as a baby, one of the first things babies do is just shove things in their mouth. It doesn't matter if it's food, a toy, a sock. They just shove it right in their mouth. Because that's part of, of sensory stimulation and getting to know something. Oh, that's food. Oh, that's not. And the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience the Lord. Not just externally, but internally. 
come to the Lord, take him up on his offer of grace and of mercy and see that he is good. How do you feel God's love? Let me give you a few warnings first. Um, The first thing I don't want you to do, and I don't think the Bible advocates this anywhere from front to back, is to fake it. There are some who would encourage you to pretend that you feel God's love. I'm not going to tell you to do that. I think that borders on lying and or hypocrisy. To fake something that you're not actually experiencing. Meaning I don't feel God's love, I'll just pretend. Because I see other folks who are going through that and I want to be like them or I don't want to be seen as less than them. So I must too pretend to be like them. Please don't do that. And I'm not here to accuse anybody of doing that. I'm just here to warn you that there's no need to do that. Some of us feel like we have to put up this facade. We have to we have to put up this front so that nobody knows what's really happening behind there. I'm here to tell you that there's no need for that. There's no need to fake or put up a facade or put up a mask or put up a wall to look like you're nailing it in life, that that you are just on fire. If you don't feel that today, I want you to be very plain. I want you to be very blunt. I want you to remain in hope, but I don't want you to fake it either. Number two, know this. Feelings lie to us. Have you ever gone to a grocery store hungry? Bad idea. Because you feel like you can eat everything in the store. Like you're going down the dog food aisle and you're like, yeah, big chunks of meat. I could go for that. Like you're that hungry, you haven't eaten all day, and now you're just buying everything. Ah! All right, maybe that's just me. That's, I've learned that not to go grocery shopping when I am hungry. Because I'll buy all kinds of stuff that I should never buy for myself or that that it looks more appealing simply because of my feelings. Now, I have a genuine sense of hunger, but it's somewhat distorted because of the circumstances. Does that make sense? Some of us, we, we get into circumstances and we want to react because that's what we're feeling. Well, hold on. Let some time pass. Well, I just want to go tell him what I think. Yeah, but right now you're mad. And maybe you genuinely feel angry, but you're about to say some things because everything's amplified right now. Just let the dust settle, and then you'll actually be able to approach that person or those people or that group um, with a legitimate cause and concern rather than just your emotions. Sometimes you might feel like, The Lord is not there, or the Lord is distant, or he is silent, and sometimes that feeling is a lie. Know that your emotions, just like the rest of you, are being transformed. That you were born again in the likeness of Jesus Christ, and and not only are your actions, but your emotions, everything about you is being transformed and changed. How you react to things, how you feel about things. How you feel about sin, how you feel about Jesus, that's all being changed. And for some, it seems instantaneous. And for some, like the rest of us, it's a long, arduous journey from step one to the last step when we pass from this life to be with the Lord. Lastly, Satan is real and he lies. Jesus calls him the father of lies, calls him a murderer 
and a father of lies in Luke chapter 8. If you are weak in some spot, imagine your life being a, a, a wall. Wherever a weakness is in that wall, maybe a cracked brick, some mortar that's missing, a piece that has not been built up, that is your weakness. Satan will strike you there. He won't strike you where you're strongest. He'll strike you where you're weakest. There are some who advocate that Satan's not real. Jesus said Satan is real. So I'm going to believe Jesus. If he says that Satan is the father of lies, I'm going to believe that that's his very nature. That's all he comes to do. If you feel as though Satan has spoken to you or a, or a demonic spirit has spoken to you, I guarantee you they have lied to you. It's their very nature. It cannot be changed. They are not to be redeemed. They're not going to be saved. They are adversaries to God and to you, and they will lie to you. So know that sometimes in your moment of weakness, where you're not feeling God's love and your emotions are telling you that God is distant, Satan will attack you there too. Maybe it might be through an unsaved friend or coworker who's just negative all the time. Maybe it'll just be what the Bible calls these fiery darts that we protect with our shield of faith, Ephesians chapter 6 says. These fiery darts that are shot from the enemy. They're, they're just looking to land on the target that is your weakness to destroy you and to tear you down. As a child of God, if you, have, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have become a child of God. That does not make you a, a person with a bubble around you where nothing will get you. Like a lot of people think. It, what it means is you have now entered in from the enemy's camp into God's camp, and now the enemy hates you. You were once on his side. Now you are not. Now you are a threat. Because if you're a husband and you get saved, now you're going to have an influence on your wife and on your children and on your coworkers and on your friends and in the marketplace and how you conduct business. You are now a threat. Your one salvation could lead to the salvation of many others. Recognize that Satan is out there. You don't have to be afraid of him, but you have to recognize that he is out there. And his purpose is to lie to you, to deceive you, and to cause you nothing but death in every sense of the word. Don't fake it. You can't always trust your feelings. And on top of that, you got Satan working against you. So now, with those three warnings, open up to Psalm 13. If you were here on Wednesday, we, we went through this psalm just a little bit. Psalm 13 is one of my favorite psalms of all of the all of the or favorite scriptures of all the Bible. Top five when it comes to Psalms, Psalm 13. I said this Wednesday, Psalm 119 is 170 plus verses. It's one of my other favorite Psalms. Um, Psalm 13 is only six verses. So you're getting off easy today, not going through the 117, instead just going through the six. But feeling God's love, I want you to see there is no magic key. There is no you know, seven steps to feeling God's love. Um, I, I personally, when everybody gives me a book like that or tells me to read a book like that, I, I go in with a lot of cynicism. Maybe that's bad. I go in with a lot of skepticism. Because I feel like when you can take the Bible and reduce it to a series of steps, you've missed something. I, I feel that the Lord would have just given us a series of steps if that was what he wanted. 
But I do want you to get to a place where you no longer doubt God's love. And when your emotions do betray you, you can stand in defiance of them. And when Satan stands and lies uh, to you, that you can stand in defiance to him as well. And that when you have these feelings, you can genuinely feel them. Psalm 13 says this, verse 1, says, To the choir master, a psalm of David. Don't miss that. Some of your psalms say, like this one says for me, it says, uh, How long, O Lord? That's a title inserted much, much later. But this next part, to the choir master, a psalm of David, that's actually part of Scripture. Don't disregard that. Don't, don't throw that away. That's very important to this psalm. Verse 1 says, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? First of all, who can identify with verse 1, like right off the bat? Yeah, man. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. I'm going to stop right there. There's only two verses left to go. It is believed that this psalm was written in a cave as David fled from King Saul. Just some background, David, David is the David from David and Goliath. He has been anointed to be king. The kingship has been stripped away from King Saul, the first king of Israel, um, before God, uh, or, or after God, I should say. Um, Saul has sinned. The kingship has been taken away. It's been given to David. But David yet is not yet in the place of being a king. Saul knows that God favors David, so he wants to do what the enemy always wants to do, to kill and to annihilate God's people. And so Saul is chasing David. I speculate here. I can't emphasize that enough because I can't prove this. It's not in the Bible. So please, this is Pastor Tony's opinion. I don't generally bring opinions, but, but this is my opinion. This psalm is so short because David was on the run. He did not have time to sit down and write verse upon verse upon verse upon verse. He had just a brief moment to, to write something down, to dictate it to a scribe and say, this is, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. These are my emotions. This is, this is the despair that I feel. And, and as soon as he get those down, maybe he had to flee again. He had to run again. Maybe he heard a noise. Maybe the enemy was getting closer. Some of you can talk and talk all day long. You have the gift of gab, they call it. Some of you don't say more than three words when I come around you. Hi, how are you? Okay, see you later. That's about all I get out of you. You're just not talkative, and that's okay. I want you to see that neither one of those is good or bad. How you are and how you've been made most often is the way that you can operate. If you're a man of few words, make those words count. If you've only got six verses to relay your emotions and what you're feeling, then make every one of those words count. If you can talk on and on for days, make sure those, wor those words mean something. Don't just let it be like literally baloney, which is mostly filler and not much good for you. Don't just talk to hear yourself talk. Make your words mean something. There is a way... This is what we talked about Wednesday. There is a way to question the Lord that is reverent, and there's a way to question the Lord that, quite frankly, to put it very bluntly, is the equivalent of being a jerk. You can go to the Lord shaking your fist, condemning him, accusing him, 
telling him he's wrong, demanding answers. I always think it's cute when people demand of God. I just think that's really fun. Like, good luck with that. There's a way to come with those same questions and still be reverent and still be worshiping and still be exalting and still recognizing that Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and that God is our Father and that he loves us. That we can come and ask anything that we'd like. And that we will, we will receive a response in some way, shape, or form. Here's the first thing. And, and for some of you, I'm hoping that this is like, like, ding, like a light bulb goes off over your head when you hear this. Whether it's you personally or you are counseling another Christian or another person, you need to allow for wrong thinking. Now, I hate, I find it abhorrent, and I'm not even sure if I'm using that word right. When someone takes scripture out of context, when they use it wrongly, and when they use it to deceive and to manipulate other people. When someone takes the word of God to meet their own needs, almost always for financial or, or some type of status or powerful needs, it, it, it just grates against me. I want to stand up and punch something. It infuriates me. When I read about Jesus getting mad in the temple because people were coming to worship God and they were being fleeced, what was happening is they were coming from very far distances and rather than bring a sacrifice with them, they would buy a sacrifice at the temple. But, but in the temple, they'd say, hey, your Roman money is no good. Trade in your Roman money for our, our Jewish money, which there's a bit of a markup you're going to be losing and then come buy one of our sacrifices slightly used pre-owned and they would buy these awful sickly sheep now you've traveled hundreds of miles you you've just traded in all of your money for temple bucks and and now what are you going to do you have to buy one of these you want to honor god you want to worship god you want to bring this sacrifice so that's what you have to do jesus gets in there and he doesn't like it he gets mad. Says he makes a whip of cords and just starts going, rah! Just, yeah! A lot more eloquent than that, I'm sure. But he starts flipping tables and he's just mad. Because God's people who are really trying to serve and please God are being taken advantage of. That being said, there is a time where you need to, and you need to, in counseling, let somebody process their feelings, process their thoughts. Here's what David says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How many people know right away? No, God said he'll never leave us nor forsake us, David. David knows this. In the New Testament, it's quoted from the Old Testament in, in the book of Deuteronomy. David, the good Hebrew boy that he is, he would have known that scripture. He would have known that God would never leave him nor forsake him. However, in this moment, when he is running possibly from Saul, when he is fleeing for his life, whoever the enemy is at this point, doesn't matter. He's running for his life. He fears that his life is going to be taken. And worse than that, God is away. God is distant. God, where are you? I can't hear you. We might have the right scripture to place there to answer David, but David first is going to feel and say and experience what it means to just let that part out. He's wrong. 
God has not forgotten him, but he is allowed to feel that. How many of you, you have these feelings and you remember the scriptures, so you just try to su suppress those feelings and those questions? It does you no good. I'm here to tell you to flip that around. Experience those emotions. Say to, your, say to God, God, I, I don't feel you. I don't hear you. I pray to you and it seems like, it seems like there is no answer. You read through the Psalms. This is not an exclusive place where this occurs. Constantly men are coming to God and saying, God, my enemy is winning. Where are you? I can't hear you. I am in despair. I am going to die. Don't fake or push away your feelings. Don't worship them either. See, the flip side of this is that everything's about your emotions and your feelings. Don't be one into the other. Don't go from one end of the spectrum all the way to the other. Stay right in the middle where, where you express the true feelings that you're feeling without making them your God, without saying, it will always be like this. There is no hope for me. I'm as guilty as this as anybody. Somebody comes to me, I have this problem. I have a, I have a, I have a verse for you. Take that verse. It's your Band-Aid, slap it on, and, and go on your way. I just fixed you. It doesn't work like that. I mean, it can, but how many people have you ever gone to them and said, this is all the stuff I'm going through, and somebody says, well, you know, God must have a purpose or a plan and never leaving, and you're like, God, I don't, don't get it. My house is going to be taken. My marriage is crumbling, and I know that that's true, but right now I'm dying inside. Sometimes, sometimes we can take Scripture and abuse it or misuse it. Turn to the book of Job. Job chapter 2. If you've never read the book of Job, read Psalms, then read Job. Let me condense the first couple, the first chapter and a brief part of chapter 2 of um, the book of Job. Job, is, a, as the Bible says, uh, he, he's a righteous man. By the grace of God, by the mercy of God, he's been blessed, wealthy, tons of kids, marriage, status. He's got everything. Behind the scenes... There is this battle between God and Satan. And when I say battle, it's a lot like a little kid throwing a tantrum in front of a parent. It's not really a battle. It's just that there's this skirmish. And Satan is going about the earth to find somebody to devour. He's gone to and fro looking for somebody to test and to tempt. He can find nobody. And God says, hey, what about my servant Job? First, Satan is allowed to take all of Job's possessions. And when he doesn't curse God to his face, he's allowed to touch Job's body and cause great big sores on his, bodies, on his body. His wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? Like, I don't know if you've ever... Like, my wife's a great person. I could tell her anything and she encourages me. She's never said anything like that to me. I could see how that would be devastating to Job. Not only is his wife still there, but she's not really on his team anymore. And so at the end of all of this, the whole test, according to Satan, is that Job would dismiss God because all of his stuff was taken away. Verse 11 says this, Now when Job's three friends heard of all the evil that had come upon him, they came, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naphtite. That's a hard one. They made an appointment together to come show him sympathy and comfort him. Verse 12 says, And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. 
and they sat with him on the ground don't miss this seven days and seven nights and no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his suffering was very great now here's my encouragement to you slowly just or, or instantly i should say right after these verses the friends lose it they 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 come with bad advice they they're not really that great of friends but right here they get it right there's no words for job what are they going to say god has a plan for your 10 kids to be dead and all of your wealth to be taken away and all the sores all over your body. They sit down next to him for seven days and say nothing. Seven days. I don't know about you. Seven minutes at my house to try to get some quiet time. Not that easy. Only three other people there. But there's always someone, something, a phone to answer, a message to answer, kids that need something, something to do in the house. Seven minutes is a struggle, but seven days. I tell you that these three friends, while they miss it at the end, they nail it at the beginning. To just sit with their friend Job and allow him to just process and feel and question internally while they sit with him. They made an appointment with him. Hey, can we come to your house? They came and they just sat with him and just mourned with him. And felt with him. in church, if you have friends or family who are going through something, it's not that you can't or shouldn't share scripture. You absolutely should. But you have to be deliberate. It's got to be more than a bumper sticker. It's got to be from a place where you have heard them and allowed them to process through the things that might be wrong. Sometimes just, just hearing yourself say something that's wrong is enough to be like, oh, you know, I, that was wrong. That was stupid. I shouldn't have said that. That wasn't right. I know that's not true enough to just bring some catharsis and to exercise some of those feelings verse 2 how long must i take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all all the day how long shall my enemy be exalted over me going back to not faking it be truthful david's not sitting here there is no enemy no one's chasing me i am victorious blah blah he's not putting up this fake facade He's saying, look, I have enemies that are chasing me, God. They're, if I falter just a little bit, they're going to overtake me. David's not running from amateurs. He's running from warriors, trained, skilled men who are ready to take his life. The threat is imminent. The danger is real. And he's truthful about that. Be truthful about your situation to the Lord. I don't know that the Lord applauds us and how we can, you know, hold it together in front of him. Keeping a stiff upper lip and just, God, everything's okay. They're going to take the house and my wife hates me, but everything's okay. I just don't think that that really impresses the Lord at all. That's not how David comes to the Lord. David comes to the Lord and says, my enemy's going to overtake me. I am going to die. The good news is that Jesus is not just some God that's far away who, 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 this expansive distance. He just can't possibly know what we are going through. Reverse that. He's actually a God who has been tempted and tried, the Bible says, just as we have, yet he overcame and was without sin. He, uh, excuse me, Isaiah chapter 53 says that he's a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. When you come to Jesus and you tell him the truth, he knows what you are going through. He knows how it feels to be tempted and tried in the way that you are. He knows how the pain feels. 
come to him in truth. Don't don't sugarcoat it. Don't put up a, a face and everything's okay. Just, Lord, I'm hurting. This is too much. This is too hard. Don't fear admitting the pain. Some of you have been taught that, you know, if you were to speak that, then that makes it so. I'm here to tell you it's already so before you've opened your mouth. Don't be afraid to admit to the Lord what is happening. Lastly, and this is this is where we're going to land today, in feeling God's love, feeling it in a way that's experiential versus just theoretical or intellectual, is you have to end with the truth. And that truth is the word of God. To go back to, to verse thir- or chapter 13, Psalm 13, verse 4 says, but, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You read through those six verses. What has changed? Nothing. Has David's enemies suddenly stopped? No. Now certainly there are times in the Bible you read different accounts where enemies are swallowed up, seemingly in an instant. Ground opens up, they fall in. There's there's a great spiritual war where where Horses go chaotic and men just flee because they're so afraid. God can do that. But that hasn't happened here. David's circumstances externally have not changed at all. What has changed is him. Notice that he's gone through these feelings. He's gone through these emotions. He's been truthful to the Lord. And as a result of just being, to overuse some words, transparent and authentic before the Lord... He gets to that place of truth and knowledge. He gets back to that place where he knows something and he doesn't just know it, he feels it. He experiences it. The enemy's still pursuing. Life is still threatened. But he knows the truth now. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. That same David that's riding in this cave as fast as he can is the same David who was saved from Goliath as a young boy. The same David whom when a lion or a bear attacked his flock, he attacked and overthrew. The same God who saw him through all of that stuff is going to see him through the next stuff. How do you feel God's love? I can't make you feel God's love, but I will tell you this, that if you will dedicate and give yourself over to God's word and read it and consume it and and treat it the same way you would a meal, that that this is life, that this this is something that needs to become a part of me, I tell you that the truth is found no place else but here. The Bible tells us that God is love. The Bible tells us that God loves you, that God hates sin. That God wants to save you. That for those who love Christ, he's preparing a place for them. That you are a child of God. And honestly, whatever you feel at this point is second to what the truth of the word says. I don't feel like a son of God. I don't feel like a daughter of God, but you are. I don't feel loved, but you are. 
Admit that you don't feel it. And tell the Lord that. I don't know. I don't know. I, I've got kids. If you've got kids, maybe you've ever, you've had kids who have who have told you in some way, shape, or form that they don't feel your love because you're not giving them stuff. Not all kids do this, but some kids do this, right? And sometimes we, as adults, we just grow up with that same mentality and we give it to God. God, you're not giving me what I want. You must not love me. That's an immaturity that we need to grow through. We need to allow the Lord to sort of rebuke us of that, to grow out of that immaturity and to know that, that regardless of whatever we have or have been given, that God loves us. David, David's still in a cave. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I, I love singing. If you ever see me driving, I'm singing at the top of my lungs. I'm singing everything and anything that comes out of my iPod. It could be any type of music. It could be country western. It could be punk rock. It could be pop. It could be anything. But if I love that song, I'm just going to sing. And the same thing on a Sunday morning. I'm just going to sing to the Lord. Not because things are going great. Not because my life is so awesome. Not because of this. Not because of these circumstances. But because God has always dealt bountifully with me. Because I know that he loves me. I know that he is worthy of that. How do you feel God's love? Well, first you have to know it. First you have to admit it. Some of us are afraid. Here's the real crux of the matter. Some of us are afraid to be vulnerable before God. And that's what makes it hard to feel God's love. Before the world, before our, our flesh, before Satan, we should be very cautious and skeptical and, 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 and be prepared for battle to put up a, 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 a wall to protect us, but, but not with the Lord. That's got to come down when we deal with him. We have to get to a place where we say, you know what, Lord? This, I surrender. I'm done. Do what you want. Have your way. I trust you, and I know that even if there is pain in the days to come, there will be a purpose for that pain. You have always been good to me then. I know you'll be good to me now. I know you'll be good to me in the future. Whether we feel God's love emotionally or not, we can know that he does, so much so that he gave us Jesus. We do not earn God's love. Religion tells you to do so that God might approve you. The Bible tells us that Jesus has done so that you might be found approved. I'm telling you here today that that one simple truth that Jesus has come, has died for our sins, that we can put our faith in him and become the children of God before we've ever done anything, before we've lifted a finger or given to missions or, or come to church or read our Bible, that God loves us. That truth must be bigger than your emotions about that truth. I don't believe it. doesn't make it not so. If you don't believe that God loves you, it doesn't diminish his love for you. God is not scared of your doubts. God is not scared of your unbelief. 
Jesus is a relational God. He seeks to be your God and he seeks for us to be his people. And that means he spends time with us. He speaks to us through his word, through prayer, through, through church, through sermons, through, through anything and everything. Sometimes the Lord speaks to you. It doesn't have to be through a church setting. Sometimes it's something you see in the world. It's something you see in a book or in a song. You realize, oh man, God does love me. He does care for me. Romans 10 and 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The Bible is here to tell us about Jesus and what he has done for us. Jesus went to the Pharisees and told them, and I'm going to paraphrase, but essentially they, they, scour, the, they scour the word of God looking for salvation, not knowing that the word of God is pointing to him, to Jesus in whom is found salvation. They miss Jesus. If you're having a hard time experiencing God's love or feeling God's love, whatever that means to you, I'm going to encourage you to to read God's word. To give your attention to it. I, I know you're busy and you don't read that well and you fall asleep. I've heard every excuse and honestly, I've experienced all of those things. I have fallen asleep reading the Bible more often than I'd like to admit. There are times where the day just gets away from me, the time gets away from me, and I have not read my Bible today. And, and, I, and, I, and I get through verse 1 and I'm done. I know that. There are days where you wake up, you think, I'm going to wake up early today so that I can get done early. And, and just more stuff gets added to your day. And you come home later than usual. I'm telling you that those days are not ever going to go away. There's no magic day where all of your responsibilities go away one day. The encouragement to read God's word is for every day. For you and for me, for every type of person, for every type of schedule. The days where I feel most convicted is where I know I've done things that were foolish and now don't have time to read God's word. Maybe that's just me. I'm just trying to be honest with you. Maybe I've watched too much TV. Maybe I've spent too much time playing. Maybe I went to go buy that thing that I don't really need, but I spent a lot of time researching it and trying to find it. Now, oh no, I don't have any time to read the word of God. Maybe that's just me. But I will tell you this, when you read the word of God, the reality that it is becomes your reality. You go out into the world and and people will see you and they won't understand why you're doing something, why you are loving those who don't love you back, why you are praying for your enemies, why when your politician doesn't get elected, you don't freak out. When, when someone is called to go and serve a country where Ebola is a threat, you don't panic because you know God has called them to go and do that. That when the news says something that's scary, you don't freak out because you know that that's the world. And whatever man can do to me, if it should take my life, it just brings me to the Lord faster. Not pleasant to think about, 
Not ideal, not the way I want to go, but I have my assurance. Church, I want you to feel God's love. I, I genuinely believe that if you feel God's love, you will go and you will do and you will serve and do such great things. Guys, you got to raise your hand if you're married. Have you ever been in love? Raise your hand. Come on. When you fall in love, man, when that when that woman when she loves you back, you can do anything, right? That doesn't even matter. And you're just in love. You'll do anything for that woman. You you will you will sacrifice everything for them. You will give and you will give and you will give because you love her and she loves you back. Don't lose that. It's the same thing with the Lord. When you realize how much he loves you, when that reality takes place, you no longer fear. If you're in fear today, don't believe folks who will tell you that you're in sin. Fear can become a sin. But, but here's the thing. If you are fearful today, you need to experience God's love. And you'll experience God's love by putting your faith in him and reading his word. Faith comes through hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Give your life to the Lord. Give your life to his word. And I guarantee you, you will feel God's love. Jesus, we love you. And I'm going to be honest with you, Lord. It's very difficult to preach this type of a sermon where... Where I can only I can only lead folks to the water. I can't I can't make them drink. I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that that you would break through the walls that we've set up, the the things that make us less vulnerable before you, the the the, the little shanties that we've built up to protect our hearts, Lord. May you just demolish them. Whether you do so subtly, whether you do so drastically, whether you whether you come right in or or whether you knock, Lord, I'm just praying that you would. Help us to be vulnerable before you. To know that you're not a God who's going to hurt us. You're a God who loves us. You're a God who cares for us. For each and every one of us, Lord, I believe that if we come to that realization that you are a God that's not only of love, but you are the essence of love, the epitome of love, that you love the world, including us, so much that you gave your son Jesus to die a sinner's death on our behalf, that we can trust you. That while we don't know what the future might hold, we know that you are good, that you are loving. That whether we are going through cancer, whether we are going through foreclosure, whether we are going through divorce, whether we are going through pain of death, whether we are going through anything, we know that you are right there. We can, like David, in the midst of our circumstances, not speak them away, but simply recognize what is happening and that you are a God who is bigger than those things. And Lord, I'm praying that that would be burned and seared into our soul, that we would never forget, that we'd see through the lies and the schemes of the enemy, through of Satan, of our flesh and of the world, that our great hope is found in you and in you alone, not in our economy, not in our politicians, not in the CDC, not in legislation. Our hope is found in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.